Well, friends, it is my uh, pleasure to introduce to you our guest preacher this morning. He is a guest, but he's, he's a friend. He is family to us here at All Souls. Uh, Daryl Ford is originally from Detroit, but he felt God's call to bring him down to Atlanta to plant a multi-ethnic church. And so he sojourned with us for a little while while he was doing that. And Icon Community Church is the church that he founded, that God gave him the vision for. We are thrilled, and so I ask that you would give him a great All Souls welcome in bringing Daryl Ford up here. Thank you. You got it. Uh, well, thank you. Um, it is, it's good to always be, be back. I was actually pretty thrilled that uh, Stephen asked me to, to, to come and, and preach today. Uh, we have been meeting as a church uh, at, at Icon here in the afternoons, so I felt like, you know, if I said no, we were going to be meeting in the street somewhere. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I, All Souls has been so gracious and such a blessing to our church, and we could not, we would not be where we are and be able to do the work that God's called us to do were it not for your blessing and your love and prayers for us. So we are always indebted and so thankful, and any time I get an opportunity to come, this is just like family for me, so I'm thankful uh, to be here. Uh, as, as Stephen said, yeah, I, I came down back in 2011. Uh, we moved uh, from the Chicagoland area. I am from Detroit, but spent time in the military and business and moved a lot of different places. And then eventually uh, sensed a call and felt a call to come down to Atlanta and plant. Uh, our church has been going now since 2014. And as you all know, with everything that's happened and a lot of the different uncertainties over the last year, it's been an adjustment for all of us. So we're looking forward to following your lead as, as you guys have begun meeting. I love the fact that this series is that you guys are in Ephesians and that you're going through this idea of beloved community. Uh, it's something that uh, always seems to be this kind of moving target uh, within churches because Issues change and how people are engaging issues change and what it looks like to love each other well, what it looks like to hear each other well, what it looks like to, to, to empathize with one another well. Those things can be real challenges, especially when you come from various backgrounds and you, you, you might have uh, different leanings in different ways. And so it can be really, really hard. This passage, before, before I read it, is one that is spoken directly to us as a church and how God shapes us in order for us to shape a community. So I'm going to start with this. How many, how many of you here love sleeping? I see most hands. The ones who are not are probably workaholics and we need to pray for you. Um, no, it's, I, I genuinely, there are a few things that I can tolerate being messed with, few things, but things that I don't uh, allow, don't mess with my family, and don't mess with my sleep. I don't get enough of either, and so I need to value that time when I get it. I love being able to sleep. I don't get a lot of it. And so uh, what that means is if I know I've got to wake up, nothing makes me more frustrated than when I've got to wake up earlier than the alarm goes off. I don't even like getting up early. I'm not a morning person. But when I have an alarm set, I've got to get up early. I let me get to sleep on time. If something else rouses me from my sleep before that alarm goes off, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset. And I'll tell you, the best pre-alarm alarm are little children. Amen? <laughs> I, I remember my middle, my middle child, uh, when she would, she would sleep and she would just wake up, and, and it'd be like 3 in the morning, and all of a sudden, I hear 
this mouth-breathing action standing over me like a 1980s child villain poltergeist thing. Like it's, and, and I, you're, you're there and you're, you're trying to get rest and you wake up and you see this child waiting over you and you don't know what's going to happen. And I'm like, listen, you're my child. I love you, but I almost treated you like I didn't. Um, because, because you don't want to be roused when you're sleeping. You're, you're relaxed. You're enjoying that time. I, I love my sleep. We don't like being forced awake when we are sleeping. Sometimes we're forced awake and it's good, and it's necessary. I, as, as Stephen mentioned, I, I, um, I did move down here uh, from being up in, in, uh, in the Midwest, but before that, as I said, I was in the United States Air Force. In 2003, uh, back in November, uh, I was stationed in Iraq, in southeast Iraq, uh, today known as Nazaria, but, but it's modern-day uh, modern Ur of the Chaldees. We know where Abram later, Abraham, was, was born. I used to uh, write home and tell family members that every day I wake up, get out of my tent, and see the largest preserved ziggurat, kind of the Babylonian form of the pyramids, the largest preserved ziggurat in the world is right there in that area of southeast Iraq. So I get up out of my tent every day. I see that same ziggurat that Abraham saw when he got out of his tent every day. Just incredible kind of biblical history that was there. And I remember uh, sleep was very valuable because we worked 12-hour shifts, uh, 12 on, you, go, to, you go, go home, you're, you're in your tent for a while, you go back, work again, 12 hours. And so I, I, I valued my sleep because we worked hard, and, and so you slept hard. And I remember uh, back in November, I, it was my first month there, and on November 12th, there was uh, this horrible explosion. We now know what had happened uh, was uh, a suicide bomber in a decoy car had driven through the area where we were camped and driven through and everyone started chasing that car. And behind that car was a tanker that also was strapped with explosives and both detonated themselves. Now, what I remember is I, I was asleep at the time because I wasn't on duty at the time. So I'm asleep and all of a sudden you're hearing alarms go off. And you're hearing people yell, get up, it's time to move. And you're feeling the ground shake and reverberating. I had to be roused out of my sleep. While sleeping, I'm totally unaware of the threats that face me and those uh, with whom I'm, I'm stationed. I don't know what the danger is. I don't know there's any problem. I'm just sleeping. I'm dreaming. And, and I, I remember waking up immediately knowing what I had to do. Okay, uh, uh, they're, they're telling us what happened or they think they know what happened. I'm going to grab my flak vest, grabbing my helmet, going to get my weapon. And all of a sudden, everybody's doing the same thing. We knew what to do once we were roused and aware of the danger. But I had to be made aware. I had to be awakened. Although I may not have wanted to be awakened in the moment, I had to be awakened. 28 people died that day. I remember uh, being, uh, I, I would help lead worship at the base chapel or the, 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 the camp chapel there. And uh, we, we, were, we were collocated with the Italian military. It was great because that was the best food. So we would always kind of slide over. And I remember uh, we, would, we would have some of the Italian uh, military members come and join kind of our chapel choir. And we would uh, have music and they would love coming and joining our music. And, and they would bring some of their food with them and, and, and we would have a good time. I remember there was one guy, uh, uh, Fabrizio, and he would always, he was a super loving guy. He'd always go to the women in the group and go, my name is Fabrizio, but you can call me Fantastico. And it was just, he was really, that was his game, if you will. But, uh, 
But I remember when he came later and he was just overwhelmed with grief because of how many members he had lost and how many folks that, that had suffered because they weren't aware, right? Because they didn't have the lead time. It just happened. It hit them. And, and those of us who were on the other side of the camp, we had time to be roused. We had time to be made aware. We had to be awakened. And we had to get to work. I am overwhelmed when thinking about this particular picture and, and the way God has brought it back to me because ultimately what we're going to read here is God showing how badly we need to be awakened. And, and, how, and not only that, but how, how likely we are to push against being awakened. Like we, I was looking in, in, in what we had in liturgy today, right? We're like, Lord, open our eyes. Allow, allow us to hear. Allow us to see. And we say that, and we might even believe we want that. But let's just be real. Most times we'll say, open my eyes, but don't open my eyes. Help me hear, but I don't really want to hear. Lead me, but don't lead me. That's really who we are. And we have to be roused out of that because there's a way in which we are still or are prone to sleepwalk. So we're moving, but we're still asleep. And this is what Paul is going to, to show us as we walk in. So let me just read through Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And, uh, and then we're going to just kind of walk through a few distinctives that I think we need to maybe apprehend uh, to, to ensure that we're not maybe guilty or even to be convicted in ways that we are of still kind of sleepwalking and not being awakened. Chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chapter 2 here really does move. If you, you, know, you guys have walked through chapter 1, and you see Paul in chapter 1 kind of giving a praise and a prayer in helping prepare these people, this very diverse group of people in Ephesus, start learning what it means to see themselves as belonging to God and what it means to then walk in that. Right? What it means to, to, to be prepared to walk in community, in a, in a new community that they had never known before. And so he's walking through a little bit of the nature and the work of salvation. He makes that first priority, acknowledge the very nature of your salvation, which is when he leads us here in, two, in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 2, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He says, this is where you started. 
In other words, another way to think about this is, this is likely your default position. Because we know, yes, yes, we're saved and God has rescued us and ransomed us. And yet, there's sometimes this, the, the old stuff that continues to pop up. That's the reason why sanctification is this progressive thing, because we're not quite there yet. Which means that the old stuff creeps up over and over again. The old ways of thinking, the old ways of functioning, continues to creep up. So, so we start to return back to where we started at times. So he says, remember... You were dead. Now, this dead is almost like a functional death, right? It's, you can still function while dead, but you don't function the way you were meant to. So there's this idea, really, of kind of like sleepwalking. You're still asleep, but you're able to still move, and you're able to still maybe get certain things done, but you're, but you're asleep. You, the things that need to be awakened in you still have not been awakened. So and, and for a person that would be sleepwalking to some degree, they're, they're unaware. They're clueless. This is why when, when we, we look at passages in Romans where we talk about our own brokenness, uh, uh, the idea that our minds, our ears, our hearts, our lips are, are dead, are, are, are asleep, are, are, are unaware, are disconnected from the heart of God. No capacity then to do good. And when we say to do good, what do we mean? No capacity then to walk in step with where God is. To, to, to have a heart posture that effectively loves the things that God loves and effectively hates the things that God hates. We're always wrestling with that. So we struggle. There are things, I can guarantee you, everyone in this room, there are things that you are committed to or love that God is very much against. That's the nature of sin. So if you're looking at me like, no, that can't be possible, the Bible says the truth might not be in you because we got sin. So, so that means there are things in us that we're wrestling with because I'm struggling because I want to cling to, I, I want to love, I want to uh, sacrifice for, because I, I love these things. But yet God is oriented against some of these things. And it might not be an actual behavior, but it might be a heart posture. It might be a way in which I view my neighbor. It might be things that I do or things that I withhold and why. So, so what God is doing here, and he's often hopefully doing this for all of us, is showing us there are ways in which your heart is still not positioned where mine is. And it's, to your, it's actually to our benefit that he kind of rouses us and almost forcibly wakes us up to those things. So he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. Way, uh, uh, mindsets, philosophies, ways that we function, ways, again, that we live, that we love, that we lead. There are ways in which we have functioned that are more in accordance with what happens here versus the way God's kingdom should be made manifest. You know, it's interesting. We love to pray. We prayed it today. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is so vitally important. Jesus said, this is how to pray. This is the template that he's given us, right? And what do we say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means that the job of the believer, those who follow Jesus, those who have been awakened, any place where I see the kingdom not made manifest, I'm angry. Any place where I see the kingdom not made manifest, I want to do, endeavor earnestly to see that, yes, it won't be perfect. We're not talking triumphalism here. But what we're saying is anywhere where God's kingdom is not on display, that's where we enter. That's where we work. That's where we move. That's what, how we pray. 
When we speak about things, that's what we speak into. Sometimes it means speaking against certain things. Sometimes it means advocating for certain things. This is what it means to actually have this heart of God for people to build a real community. Look, when you guys get to the second half of chapter 2, this is where we start getting into the unity in Christ. How do you get united in Christ? By understanding where Christ's heart is. Because now we all can be united in the same things. So Paul starts, kind of lighten them up, you guys. Dead in your sins. That's where you were. That's who we were. And at times, it's who we are. It's where you previously lived. Verse 3, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. You know, this, this part can be really, really hard because really what this is saying is the way that you were just naturally functioning because you could make an argument, listen, I, this is just who I am. You, you don't understand my background. This, this is how I was raised. This is, this is the way my family functioned. This is the, the culture that I grew up in. Or this is one of my favorites. This is just how I'm wired. So, so we, we act as if because something naturally occurs, it must therefore be co-signed by God. As if sin has not affected and infected everything. But no, 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 that, that's, that's my wiring. Listen, awesome. God absolutely sees us and loves us where we are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So if there are things that are wiring in you, anywhere where your wiring does not emulate God's, it needs to be rewired. So that's not an excuse. We can't just say, well, you know, you don't understand. That's just who I am. That's fine. There are certain aspects we can say that, right? Things that are preferential, fine. But listen, there are things that God calls us all to, and we can't say, well, I'm just not wired that way, so I can't really do that. I can't really serve in that way because I'm just not wired that way. I don't want to step on toes because I think I, I hit a pinky just now. I, I can't do some of these things because that's just not, well, what about, yeah, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, that's great. I'm more of a, you know, I'm more of a, of a truth teller, but that, that patience thing or that mercy thing, that, that's not really my wiring. God's spiritual gifts, the, the giftedness of the Holy Spirit, that's not something we just pick and choose like a pizza. These are things that should be true of every believer. So this idea that, well, you just, this is just who I am, that's great. God came to, to remake you. So if there are things about you that are just naturally occurring in you, you need to measure and say, is this in line, in accordance with where God's heart is? Because if it's not, that needs to change. So it's important then that we realize, man, all the ways that I'm just wired that may not be in line with God, if I continue to double down on that, I'm not awake. I'm still sleepwalking. I'm still kind of walking functionally, in, in many ways, still spiritually dead, but functional. And so what, how in the world can I love you? Because ultimately what this says is, I love my wiring so much more than I, do, than I want to submit that to God. So if, which means I love myself far more than I, than, than I love God. If I love myself more than I love God, you best believe I'm going to love myself more than I love you. The old apostle Terrell Owens said it best, I love me some me. And that is the truth. When, that's an old NFL player, y'all. Don't, don't call me a heretic. I don't think he's an apostle, trust me. 
But it's true, right? The way we function is I love myself more. I may not say it. I may not express it that way. But that is functionally how things work. I love myself. I worship myself. I create ways to justify the things with my wiring, with my culture, with my interpretation of a thing, whatever it is. And I worship that more. And so I don't realize that. I might even think that I'm doing things spiritual, but I'm still functionally sleeping. I'm still sleepwalking. And that's the reason why Paul has to remind them, you were dead, you were asleep, and you were made alive. You can look at two, four, uh, verse 4, and he says, but God. We always love, this is such a great thing, right? We always get to the but God, it becomes a great preaching moment. But it's, it's, that but God doesn't become really important unless you realize just how dead you were. It, it becomes a nice preaching point, except we miss the gravity of it if we don't understand just how far asleep we were and sometimes still are. Listen, what this means is we don't necessarily even have to take uh, uh, pride in being awakened because we realize we didn't wake ourselves up. God is the one who, who did it. God is the one who does it. God said, while you are many times willfully sleeping through what I've called you to do, while you are willfully rebellious, I loved you enough to rouse you in order to awaken you so that you become aware of how far away you are from me. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond when you get called out on a thing? That may be a better question. When's the last time you've been called out on a thing? If it's, if, if it's been a while, the problem might be you. Because ultimately, as believers, we should be always going, I know I'm not fully formed. I know I don't have everything together. I know that things are still needing to be reworked in me. So at some point, if I'm in community, in a loving community, there are going to be things that are going to come up. There are going to be things that that great. It may not be something direct. Maybe people don't have to say, I have a, a list of petitions that I've noticed in your character. I just want to be able to bring those things up. We're not saying that. But there will be issues that come up. There will, might, might be disagreements that come up. There might be emotional or visceral reactions you have to a thing or an issue and you think you're rooted in God by doing that, and you probably need to be challenged and go, wait, is my frustration with this in the right places? If, if, if I'm angry, angry isn't bad. The Bible says be angry, don't sin. It, am I angry at the things God is angry at? Because if I'm not, then there's something off. There's something not right. That I'm probably still clinging. I'm, I'm probably still sleeping in some parts of my heart, and I need to be Challenge. So, but God, in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our self-worship, in the midst of our kind of toxic self-love, God says, I, I love you too much to leave you that way. So I'm going to give you discomfort to make you aware that somehow you're not in the same position that I'm in. And that's actually a blessing for us. It's not something to run from. It's, these are the, you know, and this happens, and I'm sure it happens in church, in churches everywhere, where it's like, hey, I've got, uh, I'm, I, this, this, I'm an advocate for the pastors here. At times you get somebody, people love having, it's great to have opinions, everybody's got input, and we want to share certain things. Hey, uh, I got some thoughts. Okay, great. Let's talk about your thoughts. Yeah, but I don't really want to debate or argue. I just want to tell you what I think. So, so in other words, I, I don't really want to be challenged. I just want to opine. Because I feel loved and I feel heard if I can just opine. Am I meddling? 
All right, let me, I'll stop off that for a minute. So if we're going to be remade, we've got to be aware of all the ways that we are self-worshipful because that's the way we, we still stay asleep. We've got to be roused from that. So in verse, in verse 5, when Paul says you were dead, basically he's saying you were, you were asleep and then God made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. This is a great, incredible mercy of God. It's, it's an incre- incredible picture of God being rich in mercy, this idea of giving us something that we do not deserve. It's rooted in many ways, points back to the Hebrew root chesed, which, which this, this, this picture of almost loving kindness, this picture that they almost had to create an English word to translate it because there was nothing we had in that way, this idea that he is so d- devoted and loving and committed to us. And also, it's the type of word that shows up when it's given spontaneously when people are in their greatest need. And so God is like, listen, you, you're sleeping and you think everything's fine because you're asleep. You don't realize just how bad things are. I see you're still in your greatest need. In other words, I meet the needs you don't even know you have. And then I make you aware that you had them. This is the love. This is the grace that he's showing us. So when he gets to, finally, when Paul, when Paul gets to five and he says this, he's made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you're saved by grace this, this is such an incredible picture because he's basically saying, I, God is saying, I intervene by waking you up. I intervene by waking you up. I intervene by making you aware of your sins. I intervene by making you aware of all the ways that you were out of position, out of relation with God and his heart. Now, there's a word Sorry, I'm getting ready to really go, go a little bit far here. There's a word that, that is used today that in some ways is good, in some ways not used as well, that describes what it means to become aware of ways in which we might not be where God's heart is on certain issues. And it becomes used in some very unhealthy ways and some healthy ways. What word is it? Woke. The word Woke. Now, before we have the collective pearl clutching here, let's, let's just kind of step back and, and think about this, because you might have this reaction to the semantics of the word, or, or there's a, you know, a, a natural built-in pride when somebody says woke because they're acting like they get something that, that I don't, or because the ways it's been heavily politicized, and so that becomes this thing. Well, I'm going to avoid it altogether because it's used politically. Well, we've got to be real, be real careful because the word Christian can be used that way too. So let's just step back from the connotation of the word for a moment and look at the historical context of said word. Maybe we can get to a real denotation here so we don't get it all twisted and we miss the point, right? We put the emphasis on the wrong syllable sometimes. So, so think about this. Problems, right? When we think about uh, wokeness or we think of whatever that means, um, let, let's, let's go back through history. In 1854, there was a group of folks who were uh, very much trying to make people aware of the dangers and aware of the, the, the ways in which slavery was so out of line with God's heart. They had a group, and they were known as the Wide Awakes. And the Wide Awake movement was a movement that was largely responsible for trying to end the, 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 uh, and oppose the spread of slavery became a huge part of the iteration of the Republican Party that was then the party of Lincoln. And in 1860, that became a major moniker that was used. 
And so you saw that word being used. Then you started seeing it make its way specifically into kind of the African-American vernacular in the early 20th century. Black folk, century, uh, folk, folk singer Lead Belly used this phrase in a song called Scottsboro Boys, which was a song about uh, some boys who had been accused of assaulting uh, two white women who we now know that was not uh, true, but they ended up being killed and lynched as a result. And so he made this, this lyric in one of the songs, and here's what he said. In the, in the song, it says, I advise everybody, be a little careful when they go along through there. They best stay woke, keep their eyes open. In other words, remain aware of the things that are in place that maybe, based on who you are, where you're from, you might be inclined to overlook. You might be inclined to not even be aware of it because you might be sleeping through it. 1940, there was a major uh, issue for, for black uh, uh, miners uh, and, and along the Appalachians. And so there was a, a major issue and major demonstrations and some major injustices that had happened uh, within labor relations. And one man was interviewed uh, by the local newspaper and he said, let me tell you, buddy, waking up is a lot harder than going to sleep, but we'll stay woke, woke up longer. What, what's, forget about the way it gets politicized. What is this really showing? Are, that people are going, hey, there are things that are unjust, what does God say he hates? We love to bring up things that are abominations. What's one thing that God says is an abomination? Unequal weights and measures, which means the same vitriol we have for the other abominations that we love to harp on. Do we have the same for injustice? How can you be a beloved community if you don't have God's heart for the things that disrupt community? In other words, if I'm, if I'm able to overlook the things that are affecting my neighbor, I'm still asleep which means I need to be awakened. So call it whatever. If we don't want to say woke, that's fine. Say spiritual wakefulness. That sounds nice and sweet. Let's do that. Whatever it is that keeps us from, again, clutching the pearls and so that we can focus on what the real point is, get to a place where we become aware. And the reason why God, think about this, uh, uh, in Ephesians 5.13, you guys will get there later, but I'll jump ahead real quick. Ephesians 5.13, you, you see the same kind of thought pop up, right? 5.13, he says, Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is life. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This idea that all of a sudden a bunch of, you know, group of people just made up this idea of wokeness, wokeness started with God. Being awakened to the ways in which we are missing and sleeping on God, that's always been a part of his mission. So maybe the word needs to be redeemed. Amen. We redeem it, but that's something we're called to be. That's something we're called to engage. God, give us a spiritual wakefulness. And listen, you might feel, oh, man, that's, that stuff. Think about this. The, the folks who would hear from God, they often had to hear about how many times they're missing things, how many times they're overlooking. Oh, we got to hear about this again. How many times do I have to be reminded of this? How many of us have said that before, though? Oh, they're bringing this issue up. How many times do we have to bring this up? Well, if we have God's heart against anything that's not in line with him, every time is the answer. It's uncomfortable. Yep, waking up is uncomfortable. It's a lot easier to stay asleep. I don't necessarily want that. I'm not excited for that. I'm not jumping up doing ankle kicks for that. But that is exactly what it takes to build real community. God is telling us, wake up. Every battle we have with sin is a battle to wake up, both individually and corporately. And he doesn't do this to annoy us. You might feel annoyed when any of these issues pop up, but he doesn't do it to annoy us. He does it because he loves us. It's like, I, 
I created you to be a part of this beloved community. He tells you what the, what the outcome is when he wakes us up. He tells us that. When he gets uh, down to verses 6 and 7, he says he has also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What is he, what is he saying? He's saying, I, <laughs> I'm, aw- I'm awakening you so that you can be where I am. And it's interesting, it's almost as already not yet, because you are where I am when you're mine, and I'm continually trying to bring you where I am at the same time. I'm giving you my heart, giving you my mind. You're battling with this this flesh that's still not perfectly uh, formed and perfectly sanctified yet, which means the old ways of thinking are always encroaching. So I'm having to pull and remind you of where you are and where you should be. This is the work that God is doing. So, yeah, we might get annoyed. Oh, this is just get so, I'm always having to do this, always having to feel this way. But the beauty of it is this proves that God still loves us. This proves that God says, I want to keep, I want to bring you where I am and keep you where I am. He's not doing this to annoy us. He's doing this because he loves us. Now, this is where some of the unhealthy parts of this idea of wokeness comes, though. So if I had, a, had different ways of, of, of uh, sermon titles for this, it was going to be like, get woke and get to work, uh, but, but, or, or even kind of redeeming wokeness. But here's why I, I think it needs to be redeemed, because like anything, and we can do this just as Christians, when you feel like you have the truth, you can start worshiping the fact that you have the truth. You can start worshiping how you got to the truth. And start, be, listen, if you were like me and you knew this stuff that I knew, or if you had access to this kind of information, you would be where I am, but you're not. We do that really well in some of these theological circles that we're in, too. Oh, you're not on this theological side? Well, if, yeah, if you were kind of where I was, you would be that. If you, if you had gone down the road I had been, you'd be where I am, but you're not. And so I, I, I can point out just how wrong you are and take great pride in my ability to point that out. This is not spiritual wakefulness. This is idolatrous wokeness. Because in many ways, it's, well, I I know this and you don't, and I'm going to shame you because you don't know it or because you don't get it. And so I'm going to have this kind of posture again that uh, allows me to worship myself for knowing something that you don't. This is why uh, verses 8 and 9 are so important. You're saved, you're awakened by grace through faith, not because of you. All you're reading and getting doesn't mean your heart's going to be changed on the matter. You just know more about it. You might even be able to quote things about it and bring up facts and statistics about it. But that doesn't mean that your heart is in the the right position. Only God does that. So you don't get to even boast, even in your rightness. You don't get to boast in that because it's God that did that. And finally, when you get to... Uh, verse 10, this is one of my favorite uh, parts of this passage because ultimately he gets you, he, he walks through all of these things. He gives you all of what God has done, all the ways that God has made us aware of our sin, why he does it, right? He's, I'm, I, I want to bring you where I am. I want to seat you at my side. And, and that's good because that's this kind of uh, uh, eternal perspective and what it means on the other side of eternity. That's amazing. That's awesome. But he doesn't just leave you there. He also says, and this is what I have equipped you to do here. What does he say in verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So, what is he really really saying? He's saying that it's not enough 
for me to just make you aware of all the things that are true and so that you are really good at telling other people all the things that are true and leave it there. He's like, I, I created you. That word workmanship is this, this, this picture of, of someone who's incredibly skilled at making something that has incredible proficiency, right? Proficiency that reflects the work of the artist, of the sculptor. So what he's saying is God is the only one that can say this phrase and it'd be good. You are a piece of work. And that's a good thing. It's the only kind of piece of work that works, right? Because ultimately, you are a piece of work. You are a work that's meant to do a work. You are a work that's supposed to show off the worker. You're a work that's supposed to give off the values of the worker. We are awakened to awaken others. On a very grand scale, what this means, every believer, every believer has been ordained to do good works. You were not saved to just consume things about God. We were saved to join the mission of God. We are redeemed, and that's amazing, and we're so thankful for that. But I, we always say this in our church. You're not just saved from something. You are saved to something. You have been remade and reworked in order to be a work. And those works, whatever they are, God has prepared for you long before you were in the womb. Works that God assigned for you to do. Before you came to church today, there was a work assigned for you to do. What are some good works? Preach the word. Study the word. That's a good work. Fighting injustice is a good work. Correcting justice systems that have been against certain people for far too long is good work. Uh, making sure that a child's zip code doesn't determine their destiny is good work. Issues of racism, sexism, classism, that's good work. Visiting the sick, that's good work. Suffering for people, that's good work. Shepherding God's people, that's good work. Sharing the gospel, that's good work. Standing for truth, that's good work. Caring for your family, that's good work. God prepared you for these before you ever showed up. And God has been waking you up and getting you ready to wake others on these issues. Yes, it's hard, but it's good work. Yes, it feels lonely, but it's good work. Yes, it's, it feels unending sometimes, but it's good work. Yes, it feels heartbreaking sometimes, but it's good work. Yes, it's discouraging sometimes, but it's good work. And yes, it even can be rewarding sometimes, but it is good work. And what do we know about the good work that God has given us? He that began a good work in you will see it to completion. So we rest in that. And we might say, well, that, you know, when I hear a thing now and I hear these issues, some of these issues that, that come up, I, I, that's just too woke for me. I, I'm so tired of having to deal with this kind of wokeness. If you're tired of being awakened to all the ways in which the kingdom of God is not made manifest on the earth, just admit you prefer to stay asleep. Just admit you find more comfort in your circadian rhythm of willful ignorance than you do serving the kingdom in obedience. Just admit that. Because otherwise, there's no way that we can function and do the work God's called us to in building this beloved community if we don't even call out the ways in which we're still addicted to ourselves. God is telling us, wake up and get to work. Wake up and get to work. Yes, we love to acknowledge all the ways that God is at work passively on our behalf. That is super important, but it doesn't end there. Yes, he, the work he's done for us is all him. 
and we are thankful for that and we rest in that, that's where we find our real humility and our joy and our praise. All of that is true. Now, what does it mean? What does it move us to do? What has he remade us into? Wake up, get to work. Keep on pressing and do the work that God called you to. You can do it. We will do it. You know why? Because we are his workmanship. We are a piece of work that God put together so that we can build this incredible community that God authored and promises to finish. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, are reminded of our own sleep, our own prone, uh, proneness to stay asleep, our addiction to uh, our, the ways in which we have thought, the ways in which we are wired, the ways in which we feel about things. God, I, I pray that even in your convicting us, uh, that we would be ever aware that ultimately we don't even need another platform or another phrase. We don't need another party. We don't need uh, 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 another argument. Father, we desperately need your spirit to awaken us daily, moment by moment. And Father, I pray that even as you do that, that we not find ourselves in a place of pride or that we not find ourselves in a, in a place of self-flagellation because of all the ways we may have missed it before. Let us find grace and mercy in the ways that you arouse, the, the ways that you wake us up, the ways that you rouse us from our sleep. God, we pray that, that we would be done for your glory, not for our own God, I pray that you help us get to work. I pray that people know the church of God, the people of God, for the ways in which their community is so loving and so aware and so awake that they know they can be trustworthy. Father, we know you've told us that we are supposed to be this, this picture, this foretaste of the kingdom that's coming. I pray that even in the work that you've called us to do, that people see our work and say, if that's what the kingdom looks like, then give me a ticket. Father, let this be true of our hearts. Make us spiritually uncomfortable in ways where it's not. For your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Now, friends, as we come to the table, we see a sign and a foretaste of that great wedding feast when all those who have been made alive in Christ are gathered at the throne at the wedding feast of the Lamb. At this table, we see how God's mercy that he showed for us and that he made us alive in Christ even though we were dead in our transgressions. In his broken body, in his poured out blood, his mercy, his grace is for us. And so as we come, let us pray. The Lord be with you. Now lift up our hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Friends, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together in an upper room. And after he'd given thanks, he took the bread. And he broke it, saying, This is my body, 
broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after, he took the cup and poured it out, saying, this is my blood shed. The the cup of forgiveness shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take all of you and drink of it. And so it is that whenever we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming his dying until he comes again in power and in glory. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. And as we come, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Take and eat. Drink, remember, and rejoice. Amen.